Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you Monday, June 7th. Thank you for joining us. Uh, sort of a melancholy Monday, I would guess, after the baseball regional this past weekend. I have a couple of thoughts about that we'll get to right away. Um, first and foremost, uh, on the podcast, we always talk about standards uh, with this program. I don't think I'm surprising anyone by saying standards were not met this year. Um, it's a good year. Anytime you make the NCAA tournament and you get the postseason, there's only 64 teams that do. I think it's a good year when you get a, a host spot. Um, I think, and I, I want to commend you fans out there who packed the ballpark Saturday night for the game against Old Dominion. Uh, I thought that was one of the best crowds South Carolina's had at any sporting event in years. Uh, kind of reminded you of old times. <clears throat> And uh, you look at the game against Virginia Friday, that game sort of reminded you of old times because Carolina was down and fall back and won. Uh, Daniel Lloyd had one of those Gamecock postseason pitching stretches for three innings. And then Thomas Farr on Saturday almost did the same thing. Uh, He was really good and walks the winning run in. A lot of discussion on that. I'm going to let John Whittle and – Whoever else discussed the strategy and debate it. Um, but it was frustrating because, you know, you, you look at it and there's, I mean, all these plays, you know, the, the just crazy plays didn't go Carolina's way. The the dropped line drive and, and then the double play that came out of it. The, the terrible call uh, against Old Dominion with Eister swing that, Clearly wasn't a swing. That ump that was at first base was probably awful all weekend, just to be honest. Uh, and really, the umpiring across college baseball sucks, but uh, I'm not trying to sound bitter. I think it sucks for everybody, including, you know, other teams that won. So you look at that. I mean, a lot of crap went Carolina's way. I mean, it went against Carolina. Carolina, the 2-1 to one loss against Old Dominion. South Carolina, as a program, has won – more than their share of those types of games in the postseason. You, you always kind of got the feeling something good was going to happen, and, and and they came back. And then yesterday, three to two, um, you know, you can't fault the pitching. Uh, you can't fault anything to do with the pitching. I think, you know, defense was horrible. Uh, but, again, some plays went their way that were just unbelievable. And uh, the bottom line is that this team cannot couldn't hit the baseball this year. It was a bad year at the plate, despite the home runs. You know, they lived and died by the long ball, and, and that's no way to go. Uh, finally got to the Virginia pitcher yesterday, and then uh, the Rick Mailer lookalike. Those of you that know Rick Mailer was a pitcher for the Braves back in the 80s. Look him up. Side armor comes in, and it, it looked like Carolina had never even seen anything like that. And you think of the scouting report, you know, maybe they didn't work. I mean, I'm sure they worked on it. I mean, but it – and it is hard, you know, I think when you talk to any baseball people that it, it's difficult. But, man, oh, man. I mean, you sort of look at it and uh, uh, you thought maybe, hey, look, this team, you know, because you look at the the results of the year 
And there were some games during the SEC season against teams that maybe didn't have great pitching where, where Carolina would score a lot of runs. And you thought, well, maybe, you know, they just uh, faced a lot of good pitching, you know, and Southeastern Conference is like that. You know, Carolina was competitive with everybody in the league, just things didn't go their way. But then you look at it and, you know, Abbott, who they ended up beating, was the most talented pitcher they'd face. All these other guys didn't really have a big rep. And they made him look like Cy Young. And, uh, you know, I can sit here and talk about it over and over. Uh, and that's not going to be productive, but I share your frustration uh, with it. And it, it's even more frustrating because we often talk here and we've talked for a while, seems like half a decade now, about lost opportunities, probably since the 2014 uh, baseball season when they lost to Maryland and then the 2014 football season where they blew all those leads and, things that turn out a little different, you know, that th- those teams are probably heading to a, a very accomplished season. And it's been over and over and over again in a lot of sports, a lot of sports, you know, even basketball, you look at 18 and 13, a couple of years ago, I know the pandemic shut it down. That team would have had to win at least two, probably three games to get to the tournament in the, in the SEC tournament. Uh, so you can't really count that as a, well, they should have been, uh, but, you know, they would have been and should have been had they beaten Stetson and Boston University. Uh, you know, you just sort of look at it, and this happens over and over. The entire Will Muschamp era in football, just when everybody was rallying around the campfire and getting ready to get behind the program in a major way, they laid a major egg multiple times. And the same thing happened uh, right there on Founders Park this weekend. And uh, at some point, that's got to change. Baseball things even out. You know, it, it's not uh, – Ray Tanner, as I said, used to say all the time, it, it, you know, when they were consistently successful, playing to the final out, doing well in the postseason, he's like, this is hard to do. You know, <laughs> he cautioned everybody about this. And it is. It, it's hard to do. You know, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go your way in baseball, the diamond. But, you know, you have to look at it from a big picture standpoint. And you have to decide, you know, what is acceptable and what is not. And I just don't know that having that kind of offensive performance in the postseason with a golden opportunity because TCU, who was on the opposite end of the bracket, got bounced. So Carolina would be sitting there looking at at either a game tonight or having wrapped it up last night to, to host a super regional at Founders Park and get to Omaha, which would have been gigantic not only for the program but for the entire athletic department. And uh, laid an egg at the plate. I mean, you know, and, and I don't know for sure. Like I said, I'll leave this to Whittle and everybody else. That this team was capable of maybe doing better. But I, I kind of look at it and it doesn't make any sense to me because when you have a starting pitcher that has a 5.14 ERA and, you know, he looks like Tom Glavin out there in the postseason or Smoltz or whoever, name your pitcher. Um. Something is askew. <laughs> uh, something is askew. And there were, there were some terrible at-bats. I mean, just uh, if you look at it or even listen, um, you know, I, I, and my point is, is that the pitching they faced this weekend outside of Abbott, I mean, those guys were having career games. So when, when you have guys that have career games against you, you know, maybe you look in the mirror a little bit. But I want to give a shout-out to the crowd on Saturday night. It was electric, outstanding. Second to none, I, I, I 
scrolled through the TV and watched Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Arkansas. Those those teams all have great atmospheres. Uh, somebody uh, on the broadcast from Mississippi State described it as a haunted house. And I started thinking about those cowbells ringing and, and all that. And they have they have like what look like condos in the outfield. They're they're you know donor suites. Uh, but that that ballpark out there is unbelievable. It is a haunted house. But South Carolina's atmosphere is second to none uh, when it's rocking, and we all know that. We've seen it before. We saw it in the early 2010s, and you know it was big time, big big time Saturday night. So you fans out there, you know you did you did your job, in my opinion. So where does the baseball program go from here? Now I, you know there's no firing. It's going to take place uh, after a year where you get back to hosting a regional for the first time in five years. And the SEC was really difficult. And, you know, you, you held your own 16 and 14 conference record. Um, you know, and so the question is, how, you know, how do you improve next season? And, and people are like, well, everybody's leaving. And there's like, well, you always have turnover in baseball. And they have a recruiting class coming in. You just have to see who comes back and who doesn't. Um, and look, everybody else is, is losing guys too. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like, Oh, South Carolina got to this point where they finished seventh and now they lose everybody and everybody else is going to be really good. Um, I've seen some just dumb takes about that, you know, like nobody, you know, like, like every team on the right on the schedule, everybody's back and, you know, Carolina loses all these good players. You know, I, I think that's a more of an applicable thing to basketball, maybe even football, uh, but baseball, you know, every, there's a lot of, there's always been a lot of transition. Now with the, the new rules, there's going to be a lot more, you know, college basketball may end up being the same way or, or probably a little bit more to the extreme football. Don't think you're there. They're there yet where I saw something about a super, like super teams are coming the other day. And I completely disagree with that. Um, and I've got some mailbag questions coming up too. We talked about, super teams on the podcast the other day uh you know but the, the, and i say that that it's it's dumb to just sit there and say all the good players are leaving and write them off but i think it's smart to question where are they going are they going to be better is south carolina baseball looking at middle of the pack in the sec and it's a really good year when they host a regional are those the new standards? Those certainly aren't the historical standards. Um, and I looked around, you know, at the sport too. And then look again, I'm not an expert here. I'm talking about it because it's the Gamecocks. And uh, this is just my opinion. Maybe I'm dead wrong. Who knows? But I sort of watched a lot of teams over the weekend, had a lot of time on my hands. I'm on this diet, right? <laughs> and uh, it's very low calorie, very much like, strict you know no cheeseburgers no beer uh not even any like an omelet or anything it's crazy but i'll get in more to that and be sure to tweet out a picture when i'm skinny for my beach trip coming up or skinnier skinnier uh, but anyway so i had a lot of time on my hands and i, and I watched a lot of different college baseball games and it, it's funny because like back in you know, when Tanner had it rolling, I, re I remember the players being like jacked up, muscular, look like they're like men out there. Uh, maybe I'm just getting older, but around the country, these guys aren't 
you know, exactly the most athletic looking guy. I mean, I don't know they've been in the weight room, not just at Carolina, but all around. So I don't know. And and, and I started thinking about this too. I, I think maybe in baseball in college that the sport's doing itself a disservice by some of this early recruiting, because you see 2025 kids committing right now. And although baseball is less developmental than, than say, football, I, I do think that, that guys can be really good when they're in eighth grade, ninth grade, and then they don't get any better, or, or they've thrown out their arm, or, or they, they, you know, the pitching gets more sophisticated and they can't. I mean, how do you know? How do you know? And I'm sure baseball coaches will tell me, well, you just know, but I, I just don't know that that's smart. I mean, I, and again, I go back to the Tanner era, and and, I, and he did a lot of early recruiting too. I mean, it was much earlier back when he was there than than football and basketball. You know, but he'd also get out of Florida and find maybe three or four of the toughest junior college players in the country to come up and play uh, or wherever for junior college. And uh, and his teams were tough, and they they were physically tough and mentally tough. And I haven't seen that toughness out of this baseball program, but in spurts since Ray Tanner left. I thought Holbrook's 2013 team was exceptionally tough, and they just ran into a good North Carolina team that that super regional lasted eight days, and they lost. But you didn't think like, oh, they're not tough. But then after that. Who knows? You know, and, and it's my opinion, too, because they used to talk about, you know, with Tanner's teams would, would beat another team, you know, like those really good Clemson teams that Tanner seemed to get the best of, his teams got the best of, you know, and he would even say it, that, you know, we, not be, we not, may not be more talented than these guys, but we battle them and we out-battle them. And you kind of see some of the, the tables have kind of been turned on South Carolina. And I don't know how much talent this team really had. I do know that there's been a lot of talented baseball players come through Carolina the last seven, eight years, and the toughness has been missing, not to them individually. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying that everybody that's played has not been tough. I think and I think there were some tough kids on this team this year, don't get me wrong. But if you if you want to kind of figure out what's missing, I think that resilience, that battle mentality, you know, all that, uh you know, it seems to be missing. Now, you know, again, not saying that they got out toughed this weekend. I think, that, honestly, things just didn't go their way. Uh, and you have to kind of wonder why, because hitting has been an issue all year. Why, on, in, when it matters, when it matters more than anything, um, do you score four, one, and two? And really, if you've, you know, I don't know that, you know, how serious they took the thing in Hoover. I know they were playing an Alabama team that played their way into the tournament, but they scored two out there too. It wasn't wasn't like, you know, they were putting a lot of runs on the board. And so we'll see what happens. You know, there is a – one thing I think will be solved next year based on what I've heard again uh, is the uh, athleticism and speed on this team will be much better. You're going to have to depend on some newcomers. But, you know, these guys this year obviously weren't that athletic. So that will be one thing that changes. Uh, and so we'll just see. Now, now here's the deal with Kingston. I, I think that uh, 
you know, I, there's no way you fire a guy right now. Um, I'm not uh, saying that, uh, you know, I mean, the, he needs to be gone. I would not – I think that's completely unfair uh, in terms of uh, a definitive decision right now. Um, I also think that, you know, those of you that, that are doing math – and want to compare four years to Holbrook with four years to Kingston, you need to take a year off of that because last year can't count. I mean, you know, you could sit there and say, and you're factually correct. And, and I agree that when the season stopped last season, you know, you had a lot of doubts about that team, but there's countless examples of teams that are off to a 12 and four start with two embarrassing series losses uh, the turn it around, including Kingston's first team at South Carolina. I mean, they're sitting at 27, 20 and 17. I think they lost to PC at home <laughs> uh, in the midweek game. And then they all of a sudden win 17 SEC games and end up with the Super Regional. So, so you just don't, you know, you, you just can't, you can't count that. You know, you can count Frank Martin's pandemic year team. You can certainly count the 2020 football record, it got Will Muschamp fired, but I just don't think you can count this. It's really year three. Now, he has had four years of recruiting, but again, that recruiting is so far in advance. And uh, I don't, I'm not blaming Holbrook for this, certainly, you know, but you know, you, you have to kind of look at it. You also have to look at where they started. You know, Holbrook took over a team that had just won the national championship, Kingston took over a team that had uh, missed the postseason. Uh, and one of our emailers pointed that out. Um, now, do I think it's completely unfair to compare the two? No, because this program has standards. And when you have standards like they do for South Carolina baseball, uh, it's going to happen. And, and it may seem ludicrous to people. Uh, you know, and it may seem like people are being unreasonable, but – Look, man. I mean, this is South Carolina baseball. Uh, it's a it's a it's a monster in terms of expectations, and there's no reason why they can't be great. I mean, there's plenty to love uh, about the program with how from how it sets up to the tradition, to the ballpark, to the league they play in. I mean, it there, there's nothing you know that takes a backseat to it. I mean. Like I said, you know, would it be great to have a big haunted house like Mississippi State? Sure, but Founders Park turned into a haunted house too, just without the cowbells. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know. So, you, you, I mean, you don't fire the guy after this year. I, I would. That would be a pretty shot. I mean, you know, just like you didn't fire Holbrook after the first year he missed the tournament. It's the first tournament Carolina had missed since 1999. It was 2015. You're going to have years like that. I don't care who you are in college baseball. Vanderbilt's had it. All the great programs have had. I mean, Virginia, who eliminated the Gamecocks, they they were kind of like Carolina in Kingston's first year this year. They were like 12 and something and caught fire down the stretch, and, and now they're a win away from going to the Supers. Uh, so UVA, I mean, you know, but UVA won the national championship middle part of this decade, last decade, and it, this was their first NCAA tournament in three years. So it, it's Tanner's was right; it's difficult. So, so I mean, like, you, like you didn't fire Holbrook after year three, but after year five, 
two missed tournaments in five years, yeah, you're gone. Um, so, so I don't, I don't think that's the right move. And you know, I would encourage everybody to use your noggin a little bit, not just, I mean, because I, I, you know, again, some stupid things out there. You know, people are lumping Shane Beamer into the failure of the baseball program to advance in a, in a regional. It's, it's unbelievable. Just because Ray Tanner hired Shane Beamer, <laughs> which I, I think, you know, again, nobody really has the intelligence. I mean, nobody kind of understands what an athletic director does. As they just blame Ray, you know, oh, he hired Kingston and Holbrook and Muschamp. So Beamer, therefore, must, you know, that, that's, that's not how things are judged. Every sport's different. Every coach is different. Every game is different. That's sports. That's why we all tune in. If it were that simple, you know, we would just uh, we would just know what was going to happen and, and and not talk about it and not watch it. So, you know, that's ridiculous. Firing Kingston now, you know, and look, while I, you know, if freaking Ray Tanner stepped in and evaluated the program and thought a change needed to be made, i.e., there's not a lot of hope to get back, then sure. You know, make a change, uh, but but I, I, that that's not going to happen, in my opinion. And um, you know, I nor should it, nor nor is this a, a gamble by Tanner. I, I think you know, two NCAA tournaments in, in three years, a, a regional host and a super. That's that's basically what Holbrook did, uh, except his missing the tournament was year three. Uh, Obviously, Kingston's was year two in a with a team that wasn't any was terrible, terrible by Carolina standards, terrible by any standard, eight and twenty-two in the league. Um, and then this year's team couldn't hit. But you know, I, I'll say this very bluntly: Mark Kingston does not have an unlimited amount of time to get South Carolina baseball back to where it belongs. Now, am I saying national championship? No, I'm saying a consistent outfit that, you know, battles you and more times than not is going to advance deep in the NCAA tournament till the final strike. Um, and a team that, you know, can hit the ball <laughs> would be nice. Uh, but a complete baseball team that performs results-wise up to the standard of the program. And like I said, those standards are either met or missed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to ever clamor for a coaching change at South Carolina because they went one and done in Hoover. Uh, and, and as I've said many times, I don't think anybody at South Carolina is going to clamor for a coaching change if they lose the Clemson series um, or they have a lack of division titles or conference titles or anything like that. I, I think it's South Carolina baseballs get to the postseason and win and go as far as you can. Maybe they didn't go as far as they could, but there were some unfortunate things that happened that caused two one-run losses. But if you're a little better, you could pick up a manufacturer a little more runs, then you those don't even matter. You overcome it because your pitching is good enough to overcome it. Uh, and so that's my take on him. You know, I, Mark Kingston does not have an unlimited amount of time with this program. I do. Well, I mean, I, I don't think – I think a change right now 
would be dramatic and there's no chance of it happening. So we'll see kind of what happens next year. Close the book on baseball. And now we enter the dark people call the dark period. And uh, I think after last year where the dark period went from March until September, the end of September, I haven't seen any dark period uh, posts on the message board or tweets or anything like that. Uh, And we do have a lot of football stuff going on, football recruiting. Shane Beamer's camp last week, really a tremendous response. Visitors coming in, you know, I, I, you know, look at it and I, I think that for where the program is at, uh, they've done a really nice job a very, very nice job of um, getting talent on campus. And and I've mentioned this a couple of times. I want to talk about this kid real quick. Clarendon Hall, eight-man football, Summerton, home of Jarrell Adams. Uh, I guess it's kind of like near Lake – Scott's Branch was the school Adams went to, so it's kind of down south of Columbia. Kyla Horton, uh, shoot, six, three and a half, 190 pounds ran four four i saw somewhere he averaged 40 points a game in basketball and hit seven home runs in baseball so a great all-around athlete he just plays eight-man ball uh we all remember the late great Gaines adams who played for steve Tannehill, eight-man football ended up being the number four pick in the draft um r.i.p to Gaines adams but uh you know so so th- this could be another success story like this so, so he goes to carolina and shines for two days and we hear he's pretty good and all that. Well, we went to, he went to Clemson this weekend and um, I have some connections on the ground up there that I hit up. So tell me how this kid does Carolina offered him and all that. Got a text yesterday. Great performance, strong kid, athletic, fast runs, runs great routes, which surprised me. Uh, you play an eight man football. You're twice as good and athletic as anybody on the field. I mean, you know, and you're a disciplined route runner, you know what I mean? That's like, Hey, wow. You know, you could use that guy. Um, great hands. I mean, they, they went on and on. Um, and I think if Clemson were in a different place as a program with their receiver board and their numbers at receiver, I, I think they'd give them a look. I was told they, you know, the opinion up there by a couple of observers was South Carolina made a really good offer to Kylie Horton. Uh, and so good. So crystal ball is pointing in his direction. I think he could commit and, you know, we'll just have to see with him, you know, for those that follow the team rankings and star rankings and all that, I, I think it's going to be fundamentally hard for uh, national evaluators when they're doing, because again, there's like, when you rank guys like that, there's like 200 receivers that could be four stars or higher every, and that's the position that's just yeah, I don't want to say loaded, but there's just a lot of them because, you know, teams spread spread the ball around. They run four wide, five wide in high school. There's just a lot of guys. Um, so I think it's going to be hard for him to get a rating above three stars um, playing eight man football because it's just, you know, when you're when you're evaluating everybody else, you, you're splitting hairs. So you're what's the difference between Kyla Horton? Uh, <clears throat> Had the guy that's 6'3", 190 pounds, 4'4", runs great routes, that's from Texas that plays 5A football in that state. Well, level of competition. Uh, and in those cases, level of competition 
you know, goes into your evaluation because you, you, what's the other differentiator, you know, and, and you're ranking guys from across the country against each other at the same, I mean, it, it's hard. Uh, so I wouldn't expect him to be a big time rating guy, but I'll remind everyone <laughs> that, you know, Debo Samuel, Nick Jones out of the state, uh, Bruce Ellington, you know, none of those guys were top 50 players in the country rankings wise, but they all turned out pretty good in, 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 you know, in state, uh, you know, and I've mentioned the kid at Virginia many times in state wide receivers tend to hit at a high clip, not just at Carolina, but elsewhere. And so I'll say that I hadn't had one from eight man football, but I mean, I, I don't think Justin Stepp and those guys are going to evaluate him over the course of two days uh, and offer, you know, they have a lot of good receivers on the board right now from across the country. I don't know that the kid would have gotten an offer had he not just been a no brainer. Uh, and then of course my friends up at Clemson, they don't really lie to me about players. They don't really lie to me about anything, to be honest, but uh they saw it with their own eyes. So, you know, a very impressive in-state offer, uh, I think. Carolina also offered three-star defensive lineman D.J. Jackson from Sumter. I, 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 You know, he's sitting at about a mid-three-star right now. He needs to be higher than that. Don't know about four. Uh, this kid has a tremendous motor. If you look at kind of – he's on a defensive line with a, a really good 2023 prospect – and then Justice Boone, who went to Florida last year, uh, more productive than Boone, uh, doesn't have the, you know, the, the measurables, so to speak, because he's 6'2", 270, uh, but way more productive. Uh, motor guy, quick twitch guy, uh, and a no-brainer. I, I, he reminds me of the comparison has been Lottie Ajaboy. Uh, and I think I mentioned this last week, Lottie Ajaboy, I think, that would be kind of his high upside. And we remember Lottie was a very productive defensive tackle during the Spurrier era. Uh, maybe higher, you know, maybe higher. But, uh, you know, you can throw JT Surratt in there too a little bit, um, you know, as far as guys go that, that remind me, you know, it's that athletic, uh, you know, he's not not a Taylor Stallworth inside, you know, sometimes could be a, a zero technique guy. Uh, he's more of a three, uh, uh, and not a not a six five three kind of guy. Um, a guy that could play end in a pinch for you. Um, and so that's DJ Jackson from Sumter. Crystal balls flowing in from him as well. Uh, and so I'll stop there with the in-state guys because I just want to say this: it should not be a surprise for the following reasons that kids from South Carolina are showing up that we haven't heard of or that we didn't have on the that they're getting offered because you go through that pandemic, nobody, I mean, before nobody, nobody really goes and sees players in the state uh, like they used to. And that's recruiting analysts. Um, and, and if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, back in when Ryan Bartow was in the state and I was in the state and, and we were, you know, I was a national guy and Bartow was, working for Tiger Illustrated and, you know, it, it, it was a little bit different because, you know, Clemson and, and South Carolina basically went to war over the top players from South Carolina during the Bowden era uh, and an early Dabo. Uh, 
Um, and so you'd get all kinds of sets of eyes on a kid. You had Trumbull. And the foot traffic from other recruiters in the state was pretty solid, too, just because there was a lot of readily available information on South Carolina kids. That's not the case anymore. And I'm talking about it from a media standpoint. And then you throw in from a coaching staff standpoint, Clemson's recruiting nationally right now. They're very highly selective within state kids, uh, whereas they used to, to not be. And so, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that are really good that don't have Clemson offers in the state. And nationally, it seems like some of these guys don't want to pay attention to the guy or they want to dock them because Clemson didn't offer. And, and that's that's human nature. I think it's ridiculous, but I think it's human nature because uh, I, I think that, you know, just like when Georgia doesn't offer a Georgia kid, Georgia's out there recruiting guys from Arizona and Oklahoma and everywhere else, you know, and you look at the draft a few years later and you're like, oh, well, there's you know, all these Georgia kids that didn't go to Georgia getting drafted. Um, and if you want to be accurate in your evaluations, I don't, I don't think that an offer from one school needs to mean that much. Now, here in Louisiana and LSU doesn't offer, you know, it's different. But that's kind of a one one horse town there. And it's not as big as Georgia as far as number of prospects. Uh you know, so that that's my thing there. You know, Ohio State and Ohio, that may be something, but I I don't I still think they recruit nationally too, so I don't think you should say that. Um, but it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, and you know, I saw a comment the other day about oh these in-state offers, if they take these guys, the class is going to be ranked really low. And, and, and my, my answer to that is who cares? Who cares? Uh, if it's in-state especially. I mean, it's, it's proven over time that a lot of underrated kids from South Carolina end up playing at a high level. And then it's happened recently. So and I wouldn't be so worried about it, but those are the only two they've offered too. I think some of the panic out there was just – way overblown because I mean, people act like they offered and going to take nine, 10 kids from three sessions of camp. That just didn't happen. Uh, I do think there are some players that are uh, in the mix, so to speak, for uh, offers with the Gamecocks. And um, that's, uh, that's uh, because of camp. Now, you know, we'll see if, if they ultimately do get offered, but uh, that's kind of how that goes. I'll start with Xavier Short from Chapin. The kid ran four five, thirty seven inch vertical, really good player. Um, you know, I, and I, I think he's in the mix on the radar. Uh, you, you know, I, I'll go back and uh, shoot circle back with. <laughs> Uh, excuse me. Let me uh, let me roll this real quick. I got to pull up my screen. I want to make sure the name is right because I really like this kid and Juan Peterson from South Point. How did I forget that? Uh, a guy that's on the radar. Robbie Harrison from Emerald and Greenwood could be on the radar. Demar Ingen from South Aiken. Uh, I think the idea is this: you know, you need to be prepared to accept a commitment from an in-state player if said in-state player uh, is an offer. Deuce Caldwell from Malden's another guy they want to look at. Um, or otherwise, you're not going to offer him. So I think that uh, when you look at it, you know, th- those are probably the next guys. You know, Xavier Short, 87 ranking, number eight in the country, according to 
24-7 sports, a lot of good, you know, group of five offers. And like I said, ran really well. Shoot, you know, th- this guy's a a solid guy, and I know some people on the coaching staff really like him. Um, and, you know, also C.J. Stokes from Hammond, another guy like that. You know, he visited there evaluating him and, and all that good stuff. So I don't think the in-state hall is complete yet. I think there's more offers that could be given, but I think that they're doing the right thing by, you know, exploring all their options and evaluating. Now, you know, obviously, you know, you you go get a four-star kid out of Florida and Xavier Short goes to Charlotte and ends up being a first-round draft pick and the kid from Florida is dropping passes and can't play, you know, you're going to look bad. But uh, I think that this staff – based on what I've been told. And and this has been gradually improving since Spurrier left. And it's about the one of the only things uh, with the football program has been gradually improving, I think, uh, besides things like organization and facilities and, you know, all the, the granular stuff. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this staff has really put an emphasis on evaluating the state properly. And I was told that. It's like, it's the last thing I do. This state's going to be evaluated properly. Uh, and look, nobody bats a thousand in evaluations. There's going to be good players that leave the state that you scratch your head and go, well, I couldn't be there. But that happens at every school in the country. You know, I, 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 I know Clemson was rolling and won the national championship that year. And they've been just thrilled, thrilled with their wide receivers. But you know, you, you don't think up at Death Valley in 2018 that they're probably not like, man, we, maybe we should have offered Debo Samuel. Because <laughs> Debo Samuel's an elite player. I mean, he's he's better than some of the guys they did have, even without the star rating. Um, but that happens at every school in the country. And so, you know, you, you sort of look at it like that um, and, and do the best you can. The idea is make that occurrence rare. Uh, and under Muschamp, with the exception of those receivers, to be honest, I, I don't know of – well, the receivers in Trajan Jeffcoat, who, who's all-conference, obviously, at Missouri. I mean, that's – you know, it's D-line heaven. He was right there, ready to commit. He camped and looked good. They passed. You know, that, that's unfortunate. But, um, you know, with the exception of that, and then obviously there's the example of the kid at Miami that's the offensive tackle – from Sumter, Zion Nelson. But that kid was 240 pounds. I mean, that's a big projection that Miami just so happened to hit on. Um, but there's not a, there's less examples than there used to be when you're sitting there going, man, what happened with that guy, that guy, that guy? Um, and if you're the Gamecocks, you have to do this. You know, this is not what Clemson needs to do right now with the in-state guys. This is what South Carolina has to do because you got to find, you know, you have a higher percentage chance of a of a, I don't want to say diamond in the rough, but of an undervalued or or non four star guy panning out from within the state uh, than out of state. Um, and that's just that's just statistically how it goes at the University of South Carolina. So. Good job there. Antonio Williams from Dutch Fork is a four-star wide receiver. He is, uh, for some reason, 
behind Adam Randall in the state, the Clemson commit from Myrtle Beach. Antonio Williams is better than Adam Randall, I believe. They're both really good. And I'm not trying to knock Adam Randall, but I, I think Williams is, is probably better. And the composite bears that out, but for some reason, 24-7 sports doesn't. Um, but still, who cares? You know, who cares who's better? That, that Everybody will find out who's better in four years. Uh, right now, for my money, Williams is the guy. And I'm not just saying that from a Gamecocks perspective. I'm saying that as an evaluator. But both could be great. Who knows? Red tends to agree. Um, visited. Antonio visited. Uh, it went about as well as it possibly could. You know, Carolina has been all over this kid. It, you know, you don't ever want to rank and say, you know, the people put out these most wanted recruiting articles. I think that just drives coaches crazy. And it's not accurate because, again, you're, you're saying, well, I mean, say you have a need at linebacker and a need at corner and a need at receiver, and they're all big needs, okay? But you, how are you going to justify ranking the receiver over the linebacker and corner and risk pissing that kid off and his family off by saying, well, I thought you said I was the number one guy on your board. Well, you are, but, you know, I mean, I just – I think they're just kind of tough. I mean, you could do it in alphabetical order, but then, you know, what if the 11th guy out there is a player that, you know, gets offended? I mean, you just – you don't ever want to interfere with the recruiting process in this business. You know, your job is not to recruit. Your job is not to, you know, go out there and interfere with it. No, it's to report on it and analyze it. Uh, and so I don't do those things, but if I did, and this is just for the podcast, Antonio Williams would probably be the number one overall guy. And you base that on need and, and proximity and talent. Uh, it's just, you know, hey, this guy, he's, he's special, special player. Um, Jaden McGowan is another guy from Lawrence, an in-state receiver. And, and look, as I said, Carolina's got a lot of highly rated receivers coming on the campus and visiting and all that good stuff. And that's great. You know, but you, you also have, you can look at the history and see there's a track record of receivers from the state of South Carolina panning out. That's what was so disappointing and unfortunate about the, the end of the Muschamp era and McClendon's tenure as receivers coach. And, you know, all that is, the, you know, how, how in the hell are you sitting there with one wide receiver last year? Shai Smith and a bunch of guys that you know, can't play. I mean, you're in you're in the state of South Carolina, and then you look and you see guys that you obviously could have landed that you didn't, going elsewhere and making freshman all ACC and things like that. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's bad. You know, I, I don't think you know your team recruiting ranking means you can't recruit. I think. Recruiting mistakes are made when you you just let guys leave your state like that. And, and look, I said earlier, sometimes guys go elsewhere and pan out. Like Zion Nelson, who knew, who knew he'd be like, you know, sixty five pounds bigger. I think Tennessee fans probably saying the same thing about Sedarius Hutcherson. Well, who knew? Or Ole Miss, you know, the schools in his area. You know, but but these guys who go elsewhere and make an immediate impact. And you're sitting there with this one senior that's that's you know you could throw to. That that's that's recruiting malpractice. So, uh, Jade McGowan, who I was talking about from Lawrence, South Carolina, uh, home of the Raiders, 
There's a pretty good, what is it, Whiteford's Giant Burger in Lawrence? I kind of like that place on a diet. So, again, like I said, so food is kind of on my mind. Just let me be cathartic and talk about it. Uh, 4-3 in the 40, 38-inch vertical. He's a 10-6, 100-meter guy. Plus, he has a 5.0 grade point average. Yale has offered him a football scholarship. Uh, this guy's kind of a complete package, to be honest. I mean, again, you know, he's probably not going to camp enough to get 40 offers and the name programs, but, you know, he's fast and he's good. Uh, unfortunately, during camp, I think he was on his way to getting an offer after he ran the 4 3 5. Uh, but they want to evaluate him thoroughly. Like I said, Justin Steph with, with Horton, it was two days. And I don't blame him, you know, make sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, this kid tore, or not tore, hurt his hamstring running the 40 and has to come back and, and do it. But I I have a feeling he'll get offered me part of the class. I think he's too fast and too good. Now, if you get other guys coming, maybe you don't. Maybe it's maybe, maybe you're, you're, you have different styles, but I, I just think that speed is unreal. Um, and uh, you need it. It's needed. And it's not like he's 150 pounds. I mean, he's 175 and can get bigger and thicker. Um, and as we all saw, you know, Jalen Waddle's pretty small guy. You know, he's pretty good. I think if you have speed at receiver, that trumps all. As long as you're not just a, like, track guy out there trying to play the position. And there's some guys like that. Uh, so I think Jaden McGowan will probably get um, get going. Uh, official visits rolling this weekend or this week right now today today junior today um with the first official visits of the beamer era how about that the beamer era uh and they are ramon brown four-star running back from virginia you know carolina's behind on him a little bit or a lot I don't know about a lot, but a little. I think Virginia Tech and Penn State are probably the teams to beat. You know, I think that, um, you know, that that's one we'll just have to see. Montario Hardesty is working him, and Shane Beamer has a long – if you look at his history as an assistant, Manchester High School, Midlothian, Virginia has been a Shane Beamer pipeline. Uh, Brown was at West Virginia over the weekend. Uh, and then Felix Hickson, who is a defensive tackle, who went to Wisconsin over the weekend. And um, a guy that Jimmy Lindsay's been in on. Heard a lot of good things about Jimmy Lindsay over the weekend, too, from a contact. They they think this guy, this guy's really good at teaching, coaching up. And you start to hear his name from recruits. Uh, but he's coming in right now. Virginia has a crystal ball. South Carolina has a crystal ball. Uh, really good player, I think. I think he's the type of guy to Georgia, you know, you watch him play, and you're like, well, this kid's got a lot of nice offers. You know, Georgia and Alabama haven't offered him, and Auburn are those guys. But it's like, oh, why not? I'm sitting here watching this film. He's quick. He's light, light, light on his feet. He's a smart kid. Um Look out for Georgia Tech, too. And this type of kid, Georgia Tech, really covets. Good grades, kid, 
smart kid, baller. Competition for him probably isn't as fierce as some of the quote-unquote more highly rated guys. And I say that to say this. Georgia wants to camp him uh, later this summer or later this month. Would not surprise me at all if he got a Georgia offer and ended up as a Bulldog. Uh, as far as just watching this film. Now, sometimes camp offers don't happen if you're anticipating it. I, I just think the kid's that good. Uh, I think if Georgia doesn't step in, South Carolina's got a good shot. My crystal ball's on South Carolina. It's not totally high confidence. Uh, but that, something tells me that he's going to have a really, really good visit. And, you know, you look at the other places he's visited, Wisconsin, that's probably too far from home, Virginia, uh, if he's academically inclined, really good. Georgia Tech, same way. Illinois, you know, I I don't know if he knew Jimmy Lindsay when Jimmy was in Illinois or not, but I just think it's kind of interesting Illinois is on the visit list uh, with the new staff. Um, maybe he's doing that because of Lindsay. Because a lot, a lot of these Justin Step kids, too, are visited Arkansas, you know, because of Step, because they like Arkansas, because Step got them in the game. Um so you look at it, kind of compare it. I mean, I think South Carolina has a good story to tell. Uh, and like I said, I think this kid's way – well, let me rephrase. I think he has a chance to be way better than the number 97 defensive lineman in the country, the number 54 overall prospect from the state of Georgia. Um, so he's on campus. You know, the hope is he has a really good visit um, this weekend or this week, sorry. Uh, Abdul Carter from Pennsylvania is a plus-size linebacker, a four-star guy, uh, another Pete Limbo guy. I think the Gamecocks are in it. You know, Penn State's going to be tough. Uh, 6'4", 235 is what he's listed as. Uh, could end up being an edge guy, um, I think, at the end of the day. But, you know, certainly a really good player. Again, four-star guy. Number 18. Oh, I'm sorry. Why am I yawning? Goodness. Sorry, that was – you shouldn't yawn on podcast. Number eight player in Pennsylvania, and he's on campus too. Gamecocks also have an unofficial visitor, and this one's interesting because it's a two-day unofficial visit. Um, Jaden Gibson, wide receiver from Florida. He was like a guy that uh, – Step has been in on since the Arkansas days. A big, big receiver and um, a guy that has a lot of options. I mean, you know, he and, and C.J. Smith both out of out of Florida are guys that, uh, you know, there's competition for. But you heard about – I heard about Jaden Gibson about, oh gosh, maybe March-ish, February-ish. Uh, about, you know, hey, Carolina's going to get a shot at this guy. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of just put it under the under my hat for a little bit. And I, I may have talked about it for a little while. Um, but, you know, th- this is a player that certainly I think w- would be a really good player uh, if the Gamecocks uh, ended up with him. He is from West Orange, Florida, in Winter Haven, Winter Garden. Composite has him as a three-star guy. A lot of crystal balls, four for Florida. I'm sorry, yeah, four. I'm sorry, 66% for Florida, 33% for Miami. 
Florida Insiders but and Bud Elliott have him for the Gators. Gabby uh, Urio to Gabby starts with the U. <laughs> Works for our Miami side, has him in Miami. 24-7 Sports has him as a four-star. 6'4", 185. Offers from Baylor, Miami, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas. You name it. They have uh, – he's got it. I mean, lengthy offer list and a guy that's uh, unofficial, unofficially visiting today. Um, will be another solid pickup, you know, really solid pickup uh, for the Gamecocks at receiver. Really great size, too. But he's on campus right now. So that's who's coming in. You know, you've got a 2023 stud defensive lineman, Joel Starlings from the Richmond area. Uh, and then an intriguing linebacker that's not rated, Carter Wyatt from Shalote, North Carolina. That's right north of Myrtle Beach, across the border. Uh, 62215 tackling machine on film. They're going to work him out and see what happens. All right, time for the mailbag. Two ways to get in the mailbag tweet to at the Big Spur Pod or email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Found a sponsor for our inbox. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll be debuting that on later episodes. Also, for those of you out there that, that would like to, you know, sponsor the podcast, you know, hit me up inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Thousands of listeners, the number one Gamecock podcast out there. If you're looking to reach the Gamecock market, uh, hit me up. Again, I guarantee you it'll be cheaper than radio advertising. Uh, so let me know. But uh, certainly we appreciate the new inbox sponsor coming in. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't really do this for money. But uh, when you have things like that happen, that means there's going to be more shows for you, the listener, you know, because there's more resources and, you know, quite frankly, there's there's more time available, you know, because I think we all work. We don't like to work for free, but we work to get paid. And, you know, so if you're getting paid doing this, obviously it, it becomes something where, you know, you you, you kind of dig into it a little more, you know, and, and maybe I come up with topics for those slow days instead of just skipping it. So I'll just put it like that. Uh and again, you know, I'm not looking to get paid. I'm, I'm happy doing this. Love talking about the Gamecocks. So the uh, the mailbag is uh, rocking and rolling uh, today. And we have two. And this one came in from David. And she says, he said, last Sunday I watched a movie I've never seen before. It happened to be Point Break. With Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. David, I'm glad you finally watched that movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, they remade it, which I think sucks. The remake was terrible. It's like when they remade Red Dawn. I, I, don't, I don't think Hollywood, with movies, has had an original idea in a long time. I think, like my friend Mike Morgan says, we're in the golden age of television and then streaming and all that, and series and stuff like that. But uh, movies... I mean, it's just like, you know, I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing the Top Gun sequel and the Ghostbusters sequel coming out. Um, but unless it's like a Marvel movie, it's just like, eh, you know, nobody, there's not anything great. It's all, uh, and I, look, I'm not against art films or anything like that or, or things that make you think or dramas. I mean, I, I'm all for that. But, you know, some of this is just like, most of it's just like social conscious guilt 
you know, in, inspired stuff. And, 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 and that's great. And all that's always happened, but it's just so uncreative. Uh, and, and so, I don't know, shallow, uh, even the stuff that's supposed to be deep, most of it, not all of it, nothing's ever hundred percent when you're talking about movies, but yeah, point break, the, the old one or the, the original, one of my favorite, he said, I realized something very interesting. The intro to inside the Gamecocks podcast is from that movie when Ronald Reagan, which is Patrick Swayze, looked at me and said, rock and roll. I knew I'd heard that somewhere, but couldn't remember where, which is the most frustrating feeling in the world. But I listened to the podcast this week and was able to put two and two together. Great movie and great intro. Thanks. The intro is that Eric Church's lot of boot left to fill, which I've had for a while. And then uh, Cherie Taylor from 98.9 FM in the upstate. Uh, she's the vocal talent that we had on that. So that's, uh, if you want to know who does the intro, that's that. David does have a football question. He says, potentially Luke Doty, Marshawn Lloyd, and Kevin Harrison, Kevin Harrison, the backfield together. Could we see some triple option stuff this fall? Thanks for taking my question. Triple option. What that is, is fake the dive. And the you know, if it is, it, it's going to be from maybe split back. I think the speed option stuff that, you know, you see that's pretty common now. It's probably more likely. Um, Satterville had some stuff like that over the years. Certainly, I don't think it's a bad. I think it's a great idea. Uh, but, you know, they'd have to kind of perfect that. So much of that's about timing. So my question would be if they put it in, how long are you going to spend working on it in practice? Because you only have so many time, so much time. Uh, and then, you know, is that taken away from other things you want to do on offense? You know, that's a question for Marcus Satterfield uh, and Shane Beamer, to be honest, but uh, about like, you know, is this something you're willing to do? But conceptually, David, all for it. I would probably think about doing it, to be honest, because you'll have a traditional run game with, with things like that. And then if you throw something like that in and Doty can do it, but, but here's the other problem. Yes, Doty can run, but Doty wasn't an option quarterback in high school. So, he's never done it you know he's a guy that uh was in a spread system at Myrtle Beach spread throw it all over the field and then run through the open lanes so we'll see but I think it's a great idea David and um certainly uh certainly any kind of creativity they get in the run game this year and I do think they will get a lot because uh, they're going to have to run the ball to be successful. I mean, I think that's pretty much a given. And so if you can find different ways to do it, super. I mean, really super. So we'll see. But like I said, those would be the concerns I would have. How much time are you going to spend on it? Because it's so much about timing. you got to run it over and over again. And then Doty has no experience uh, with the triple option. So we'll see sort of what happens. But, David, thank you so much for that email. Really appreciate it. Mitchell brought up an interesting point last weekend about college football and the uh, super teams, and we addressed that. So uh, he's got another question. He said, I want to thank you again for answering my question, but I want to follow up if you don't mind answering. If you said that expanding the playoff is the best way to spread talent throughout college football, then why is everyone against talking about a 12-16 to team playoff format and stating it'll be the same four teams no matter what. All right, so I, I want to spread. I, I want to ex- explain this. When when I say spread talent throughout college football, 
uh, I'm talking about, I, I, I think first and foremost, I, I don't know that I, I meant that spread talent because talent is spread throughout college football. Look at the draft. I mean, you know, you want proof of that now. Look, Alabama puts a lot of players in the draft. Your better teams do put a lot of players in the draft, no question. But I, again, I, I don't. I think there's one team that, that, if you look at like you know, it's unfair how much talent they have. It's Alabama. Nobody else has that. And you know, Clemson and Ohio State are loaded. They're rolling right now. Georgia's got a very talented roster. Oklahoma's great for the Big Twelve. Much step ahead, but you know, those teams are not Alabama. They may beat Alabama as Clemson did or as LSU did a couple of years ago. Auburn's beating Alabama. I mean, that's one game. But consistently, Alabama is on a different level. Okay, so so we don't have an issue where, you know, you three or four teams uh, are cogging all the talent we need, you know, Difference makers go here, there, and yonder. You know what? What I think needs to happen, though, if you want to talk about how to kind of chip away at that advantage Alabama has, if you're Miami, you know you don't lose Calvin Ridley and Jerry Judy from Miami to Alabama or Amari Cooper. Those three guys. Think about those three guys. Or if you're Florida or Florida State, those guys don't lead the state. If you're Tennessee, you don't let T. Higgins go to Clemson. You know you want to spread it out a little more. Some of so you LSU, you don't. You know, crap the bet on Travis Etienne. Um, that's the thing. You know, if you're if you're Southern Cal, you sign Najee Harris. So that's the deal. Is that you know, player here, player there, would make a difference in terms of you know difference makers and other programs being consistently successful. But like I said, there's one team to, to catch. Okay, uh, I don't. Think there's anything against an eight, you know, an expanded playoff? I would want them though. If, if you're going to expand it past eight, you need to really sit there and, and redo the bowl, and, and you need to sit there and decide, you know, what are bowls, you know, or bowl, bowl, you know, bowls or exhibitions that that's you know whatever. Um, do we need to move them? You know, how do you, how do you because you need to keep that intact? You know, like Sean Elliott posted. Uh, former Gamecock offensive line coach, now the head coach at Georgia State. Uh, he picked, you know, put a picture up of the Georgia State Bowl rings, and they're nice on, on Instagram. And he see, made a point. Only 26 teams ended their season with a bowl victory last year. You know, so that's an accomplishment. And, you know, with a tight four-team playoff, you know, you're eroding the accomplishments of everybody else that, that have been celebrated throughout the history of the sport. So you're fundamentally changing the sport. Uh, and I think with 16, it's the same way. I mean, you know, you, everybody's just going to go home in November, you know, uh, plus you could bet your bottom dollar ESPN. And this is why bowls have stayed alive. Uh, it used to be, Hey, you know, this bowl, they're going to go out and search for the team that's going to sell the most tickets and bring the most hotel rooms and meals and, all that to town. If you notice, it's not like that anymore. Uh, just look in the SEC where, you know, in Carolina's situation, you know, I'll, I'll tell you two years in the Muschamp, in Muschamp's era, uh, 2016, the Belt Bowl was begging to match up Virginia Tech and South Carolina. Why? Because they could sell tickets. 
Well, why didn't they? Because Virginia Tech and Arkansas was a better matchup for TV, and the SEC mandated it. And Arkansas came to Charlotte. Okay. 2018. The Gator Bowl wants South Carolina. Man, it's South Carolina. And, and it may have been Virginia down there, may have been NC State, but South Carolina had been the Gator Bowl in years, you know, since 1987. It's Jacksonville. It's right down the road. Gamecocks are campaigning for it. No, 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 no. Texas A&M is a better fit for TV. So they send them to Jacksonville and the Gamecocks to Charlotte for the Belt Bowl. So these days, bowls, and Mike Morgan's talked about this on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, these bowls are made for TV events. And if you notice, you know, what's going on in December between December 1st after the championship games and Christmas? Not a daggum thing. College basketball has a few intriguing non-conference games here and there. Uh, and I'm talking during the week. On the weekends, obviously, you have the NFL playing through. Um, you know, a few college basketball matchups here and there. Hockey and pro basketball are nowhere close to being interesting at that point. Uh, and probably college basketball either, unless it's a big, big-time matchup. But people love college football. And during the holidays, they'll sit there and watch it, you know, gamble on it or whatever, enter a bowl pool. Uh, because people love college football. And so they've become more made-for-TV events. So, you know, if I'm ESPN, I'm I'm wanting to save that. And I, and I think you can. I think you absolutely can save the bowls if you use some common sense. Just use some common sense and admit that they are what they are. Um, Mitchell goes on to say, you may think I'm crazy, JC, but to be honest, there will be more upsets in the 16-team format than the 18 format, and I think it'll be better for the sport. I don't know. College football playoff, there have been – who was – can we name an upset? Ohio State beating Bama in year one, I would guess, would be an upset. Um, as far as, like, you go into that game and you don't – you know, you think Bama's going to roll and Ohio State wins. I don't really call Bama's win and you know, because Bama was the four seed in 2017 to beat Clemson, but – that was just more of a nature, the nature of Clemson's undefeated and Bama does have a loss, but you know, 24 to six, I mean, Bama pretty much took care of them. Um, and I didn't, I don't, I don't really call that an upset. So I, I don't know. I mean, there hadn't been any upsets, you know, so I, I college football, I don't, I don't know, you know, we, we don't have a, but you know, if you, the, the more you make a team go through three weeks of playoffs, that's, you know, you're going to have more upsets or, or four. He says, trust me, you can look at the NCAA tournament and all pro sports playoffs, and there's at least one underdog that makes it far in the postseason. True. Keep in mind, the NFL, though, is created for parity. And football is different than the other sports. Just to, just to, just to point that out, you know, you're depending on so many people being excellent, like different numbers and stuff. Mitchell says, I truly believe there are teams that may have more losses but can challenge the top teams. I agree with this. Uh, you know, uh, he says, for example, you're telling me 2012 South Carolina couldn't compete with 2012 Stanford or Kansas State based on talent losses. That's true. You know, 2012 Gamecocks would have been, you know, in a 16-team in a playoff, a pretty tough out 
just to be straight. You can also move the season around the end of July and have bases bowls based off records the year prior early in the season. Uh, you know, th- that I've thought about that as far as the bowl games go. And, you know, because you, you, you're getting in a situation now where these, these kickoff classic games – remember we used to have the kickoff classic and then it went away for a long time. Uh, and then it came back, the neutral side games, and, and fans are revolting against these. Now, they've got a lot of good matchups scheduled well into the future, Georgia and Clemson in Charlotte this year. Then they're in Atlanta a couple of years. Gamecocks are in Atlanta a couple of years. So that's working. Eventually, though, you know, some fans, if a team does it too often, are going to revolt and all that. So you, you could almost have bowl week, you know what I'm saying, and, and set that schedule at the end of the previous year and uh, do it over Labor Day and have a, a massive amount of college football. I think for TV, though, like I mentioned earlier, that, that's not going to do them much good. You know, you're going to have a 24 hours worth of – or maybe 72 hours worth of programming around college football, and that's it, whereas you got a two-, three-week period in December you have to take care of. Um, I tell you what, the, you know, what I'm all for is uh, – Limit like we had last season, where it doesn't matter what you, how many games you want, everybody's bowl eligible. I'm all for that and guaranteeing the Power Five conferences bowl games, every one of them, every team in a Power Five, uh, because I think when you're talking about made for TV, all right. So, so here you go. So, one, you know, the Bahamas Bowl or whatever. Or I'll, I'll give the the Boca Raton Bowl, right? It's FAU at home. Versus SMU. Now, great. FAU's at home. Everybody's excited. Go Owls. SMU, good year, you know. And you go down there and, you know, people are watching it on TV for sure. Well, how much better more people how – many, how many more people would tune in for to see like a, you know, three and nine Tennessee – it's still Tennessee uh, – versus a uh, four and eight NC State or somebody like that you know, a power five versus power five matchup or get, get weird with it and, you know, match up pack 12 teams with the sec teams and things of that nature, you know, teams you'd never get a chance to play, do, do something exotic. Um, and, and then you just admit what the bowl games are, which is, you know, it's kind of like an end of season spring game or, or whatever, because I, I don't think you're, you know, right now you're not going to stop guys from opting out of the bowls. And so if there's no pressure to go win, you know, I mean, there's going to be pressure to win, obviously. These games are going to count against your one loss record. But when it kind of just is what it is, you know, maybe you have a bad season, but you do get retained and you're four and eight. And then the two weeks before the bowl, you start that freshman quarterback, you know, uh, over the junior that struggled all year, you know, and you give fans hope uh, in that thing. And I, I promise you, you're going to tune in. You know, Carolina was heading at two and eight last year, was heading to the Gasparilla Bowl. Guarantee you everybody's going to watch it. It's one more game for your team. It's one more game for the sport we all love. You know, nobody didn't watch the Belt Bowl because Debo Samuel uh, opted out. They, they watched it and got frustrated through things at the TV. We felt the world was ending. Come to find out that that was a sign. <laughs> that was a sign. I don't think it hurt the Gamecocks in terms of recruiting or anything like that, but I think it that was another 
X mark on the Muschamp era. So that that's what I would do. I mean, I, I would just – and then the group of fives can can get in and, you know, have some of their matchups. But I, I think with the, if I have a problem with the Bulls right now, it's that there are far too many six and six MAC teams, you know, going to Mobile, Alabama, playing a seven and five team from the Sun Belt than there are, like, you know, good matchups people really care about. Uh, and I'm not saying the G5s with winning records don't deserve it or, or whatnot. Fine, expand the bowls even more if you want more of those games. But but I think, you know, if you're nine and three in a G5, you know, and you match up against a power five, that's great. You know, that gives you a shot there. Coaches are going to hate that because if you're four and eight and you're playing a nine and three group of five team that knows how to win, and, you know, you haven't had such a good year you're probably getting beat. And so, you know, you're probably not happy about that, but, you know, it's not really about what's good for, you know, individual coaches. It's about what's good for the sport as a whole. So I think that's what they do. Um, He says, I don't understand what he ends. Mitchell says, I don't understand why playoff expansion is such a complicated subject. It's complicated because this sport's been around for 130 years and they've done it. They're just now doing the playoff. I mean, it's been, but this is like the seventh year of the playoff. Um, and it's not even really a playoff. It's more like a plus one. And, and yeah, that's another idea too, is, you know, go back to the old bulls where bowls matter. And then, you know, pick the four after the bowls and play a 14 playoff based on that. Then you get a lot of crap, a lot of controversy. And you, then, then nobody's opting out of the Sugar Bowl because you're sitting there and you're Georgia. And Big Ten Team X is going to Pasadena to play, uh, you know, Southern Cal. Southern Cal's just as good and can beat them, you know. And, and you're Georgia and you're sitting there at 10 and 2 and they can knock them out. And you win the Sugar Bowl, you're getting in. You know, you can do the bowls and, wrap them up New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and then the 15th of January, or two weeks later, you play the semis, and then nine days later on a Monday night, you play the championship game, and you're still done by the Super Bowl. And that that was kind of the plus one model that they had with the BCS is, okay, we're going to do the BCS, and after that's over, you know, uh, we're going to have – something that we're going to have a championship game. Whereas it used to be that they used to select the top two to play in the BCS championship game before the bowls, you would play all the bowls and then you go championship game. Of course, you know, do you do it fairly? Because, you know, okay, let's say, let's say you match up the big 12 and SEC and the sugar pack 12 and big 10 and the, you know, and the big 10 champion is not that good or the pack 12 champion isn't that good. So they get a pass and, you know, or, or do you seed the teams and say, okay, this is these are the eight teams, you know, here's what we're going to do, and you guys go play. I, I would probably almost be, because if you're going to do like a post-bowl selection, it's going to be about body of work. I'd almost rather them go back to traditional matchups or, you know, something like that. Um, it invites based on ticket sales or whatever. Uh, and then you play your, your bowl game, and then that's that, you know. So, I, and I don't know that would be completely fair. I think that would be kind of fun for the sport, though. But you want to know where I think we're going, Mitchell? I think we're going to an 18 playoff. I, I hope 
and I'm probably going to be wrong because we live in a society where, you know, everybody gets a trophy these days, but my hope is the G five is not part, uh, doesn't get an automatic bid to the 18 playoff because I, I, you know, there's no, no scenario where uh, an unbeaten app state that's maybe knocked off a North Carolina or South Carolina or, you know, somebody during the season that's uh, just a decent power five team or, or not even a good power five team. Uh, and they get in the playoff over an Auburn team that's in the SEC West uh, that's lost to two playoff teams in LSU and Alabama during the season and beating the crap out of everybody else. I mean, you're, you're telling me Auburn is somehow not as good as that App State team? No, that's not true. I think the G5 needs its own playoff. You want to get those schools more exposure? Give them a playoff. I freaking guarantee you people are going to watch it. I mean, I, I'd have watched like UCF versus BYU or something or Boise State. I mean, those are those are good football programs. And then, you know, maybe maybe I'm like everybody deserves a trophy because you, you do it in high school. You do it in high school ball. You have a 1A championship, 2A championship, 3A championship, 1-4A, 2-4A, 5A, 6A, whatever. So that's the deal there with that um you know i i don't think the g5 deserves it i think my hope would be it would be all five power five conferences their champions are automatically in because i think at that point your conference championship games become de facto first round playoff games you know and and i think the idea with expansion is to have more teams talked about in terms of the playoffs and more teams excited about maybe getting into the playoff uh and so you're talking about like whereas we're always just like oklahoma ohio state clemson alabama you know sometimes georgia sometimes lsu i don't want to say sometimes georgia because they've been once georgia lsu you know notre dame actually is the other team um but when you're talking about conference championship games, that means when you look back through the, the last seven years or so that means virginia had a shot at a playoff that means Virginia Tech had a shot at a playoff berth. That means Pittsburgh had a shot at a playoff berth. That means North Carolina had a shot at a playoff berth. That means Colorado had a shot at a playoff berth. That means Utah. Utah actually did have a shot at a playoff berth. Um, uh, you know, Northwestern had a shot at a playoff berth. Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, you name it. Uh, whereas, you know, so, so you, you start talking about those teams. Now, those teams didn't win their conference championship game, but – I think the stakes get higher and, and you know, the, the, the amount of care increases when, you know, it's like, well, yeah, North, Northwestern. So if we, we beat Ohio state here, great. We win the big 10 and that's great. And all we'll raise a trophy, but Ohio state's still going to the playoff and we're not, you know, I think that raises the stakes a bit in the conference title games and also makes, you know, division titles for some of these guys, a little bit more valuable than they are because you're right there on the doorstep. So anyway, thanks Mitchell for that one. It's been a long episode today, folks. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Tweet at the Bixburg pod for the mailbag. Please keep those five-star reviews going and ratings on Apple podcast. You can also get us on Spotify. Uh, Audible is a, uh, it's a audio book program. I listen to audio books on it. Haven't, don't really have my podcast set up there, but if, if you're on Audible a lot, you want um, you know podcasts, 
you can uh, get us there. Also, JC and Morgan will be back later this week. More Gamecock talk. Hope all of you are hanging in there after a disappointing weekend. But uh, just know football season's right around the corner, and it's, it's going to be a new year uh, in terms of, uh, you know, putting this very challenging and difficult from everybody's perspective, but especially the Gamecocks 2020-2021 academic season or academic year behind us. Um, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.